0: Good morning, everyone. We are finishing our difficult questions series this morning. So last uh, September, you all filled out these difficult question cards, sermons you wanted to hear in the new year. And one of the most asked questions is this, why is there pain in the world? With everything we hear about God being good and loving, how can there be so much misery And pain. So we have this wall of pain and suffering. I'm sure this really made you feel upbeat when you came in the sanctuary this morning. Crime, war, torture, religious abuse, unemployment, corporate ripoffs, diseases, accidents, natural disasters. If God is so good and so loving, how is it he allows all this type of stuff in his creation? That's what we want to talk about this morning. Now, I want to make you a promise this morning. And my promise is that I will not be able to answer this question such that it makes it go away for you. There's nothing that I could say to tie this up with a bow so that you could walk out of here and say, Oh, now I understand. I'll never need to ask this again. This is the oldest question of the Christian faith. And if there were such a tidy answer to this question, you would already have heard it from somebody a lot smarter than me. But... I think there's a lot we can say about this question. I think there's enough that we can say about this question with a little work. that if you don't need it to all be tied up with a bow at the end, it's enough that you can leave here um, in good conscience and with intellectual honesty, still believing in a good and a loving God. I think that's worth our time. And so that's how we want to spend our, our time this morning. Now, as we go after this question, the first thing we've got to realize is we can't go after this all at once. And frankly, all suffering and evil is not created the same. Addiction, religious abuse, unemployment, war, torture, animal cruelty, crime. This is all stuff that people do. This is stuff that people do to one another. And so this uh, belongs to a category that we call moral evil. Now, everything on this side, starvation, disease, AIDS, accidents, natural disasters, this stuff is what we call natural evil. And sometimes even on your insurance forms, right, it says act of God. So, uh, so uh, this requires a different answer, and we will get to it, but we just can't uh, have all this facing us all at the same time. So we're going to push this back to uh, get started, and we will come back to it okay how does a good god allow this type of evil into his creation moral evil the answer to this question must always be the free will of humanity the free will of humanity brings this into creation god created us as human beings to love but also to love him back In order for that love to be real love, in order for it not to be some sort of faked up love where we were kind of wind up toys who couldn't do anything but that, there has to be a choice not to love God. In order for there to really be such a thing as obeying God, there has to be such a thing as not obeying God. So imagine if, imagine, this did not really happen. Imagine if we heard this gal though and she got teacher of the year and we learned that this teacher in 10 years has never had a single behavioral problem in her classroom. Never has a child spoken out. Never has a child stolen anything. Never has a child got out of their seat at the wrong time to sharpen their pencil. In fact, they don't even fidget. We'd want to go see this teacher and these amazing students. And we'd expect this must be a teacher filled with love to motivate that kind of response. So we go to her classroom and we see what's up. And what we find at her secret is that when the kids arrive in the morning, she duct tapes them to the chairs and she puts a gag in their mouth, and she pulls a little black hood over their head, and there they sit till 3.15. Well, that changes everything. Those kids may not actually be good at all. They don't have any choice to misbehave. We certainly don't think this is a good teacher. This is certainly not a loving teacher. She didn't give anybody any opportunity to disobey. This is all fake. This is not the universe God gives us. God gives us a universe in which you can love Him or not love Him, obey Him or not obey Him. And it's the only thing that really makes us human. Well, one of you asked, how is it people are so evil? No, that's a fair question. I get that free will brought this in and we're disobeyed. How does it get this out of control? Torture and war and child abuse? How can we be so evil? The answer to that, simply from Genesis chapter 2 until last night's news, is that we don't trust God. We don't really believe God gave us this world. And when he tells us how to live in this world peacefully, we don't really believe that either. We're sure God must be holding out on us. If we're clever and smart enough, we can find a better way. Just take all of our food problems. Many times in Scripture, it tells us, if you have more food than you are going to eat, leave some behind for the poor to come pick up. With dignity. Leave some behind. Do we do this when we have more food than we're going to eat? Oh, no. We hoard it up in grain silos. Because, we say, we might have a famine ourselves next year. We'll need that. Fair enough. Once we have 20 years worth of food stored up and the prices are starting to fall because there's so much, do we leave some behind for the starving then? No. We pay our farmers not to plant anymore to keep the price up. While others starve, we stop growing. Do we really, are we ready to share our excess then? No. No. So a famine strikes in North Africa and it sparks off a civil war as they fight over what few uh, crops are growing. Will any countries of the earth share food with them then? No, but we'll sell them our weapons to blow each other to bits instead of leaving some behind, which is what the Lord told us to do. And then when our world is full of war and torture and child armies, we say, how did God allow this? Let's bring it off the global scale and right into our own homes. God has told us many times, human sexuality is a powerful thing. It is a beautiful thing. And it is meant to be expressed inside of marriage. Oh no, we're not having that. We're sure on this sexuality thing that we've got it figured out much better than him. And so we start to experiment with sexuality and we dabble in sexuality and then we turn sexuality into entertainment. Then we turn it into a sales tactic. We use it to sell everything from clothing to dish soap. Have you ever noticed there's an entire brand of clothing at the mall that's sold with posters of naked people? I've never understood. Let's just say what Abercrombie's trying to tell us. If I wear your clothes, I'll look more naked. No, they're just selling us uh, sex. Then we create pornography. Pornography. Pornography, that surely is an excellent use of human sexuality. We sexualize women and turn them into sex objects. Well, hey, we sexualize men. We sexualize children. Then we invent abortion to clean up all the messes that this creates. And when this creates a swirl of sexual confusion and trauma and disorders, we just label that the new normal. And then we end up bored with our sexual perversion. It just doesn't thrill us anymore. So we go for greater thrills and stranger activities. And when that wears thin, we go for sexual violence. And when our world is full of rape and incest and prostitution and human trafficking, we say, how did God let that happen? Evil continues and we become evil on almost any issue you can think of. God tells us to Work hard. If you want to eat and put food on your table, you should get it through working hard. Do we do that? No. God tells us to care for the environment. It's my gift to you, the earth. Rule it in my name. Do we care for it? No. And then when our world is full of uh, entitlement, dependency, and welfare, corruption, and crime, and when our very land, air, and water is poisoned underneath us, we wonder how it got this far. All because we don't trust God and we don't believe the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because we live like my uncle. The story my uncle once told me uh, that he spent summers at his grandmother 's house, and his grandmother always had a cookie jar full of cookies for him. But one day, rummaging around in the back of her cabinet, he found her secret stash of chocolate bars. He thought, aha, I knew she was holding out on me, trying to placate me with a cookie jar. I knew she was keeping the best stuff away from me. So in his rebellion, he sat there in the night and ate her entire stash of chocolate bars. He was too young to understand the brand name of those chocolate bars, which was clearly printed on every brick of chocolate. (laughs) Xlax. For his rebellion, he spent two days on the toilet. We're sure God's holding out on us. That's how we become so evil. I think one of the biggest problems with this moral evil is that the consequences of it are not fairly applied. One of you asked this question. Why does God allow rape and abuse to happen and other bad things? These, are just, these two are just my experience. So here's a person, I don't know who it is, but they have been deeply hurt. For them, this question is not an intellectual exercise to bat around and make a few jokes about. Horrible things have happened to them, and as they think about who God is, they cannot understand why he did not intervene and stop these things from happening to them. Another person wrote, Why do bad things happen to the children of God? Abuse, rape, murder, and so on. I had to ask myself the same question last year. Uh, Pastor Dan and I found ourselves sitting in a room with some pastors from Kenya. And we asked them, what's, in the church in Kenya, what's your biggest challenge as a church? And very calmly they said, our biggest challenge as a church is telling our youth, our high school kids, to stand strong for Jesus. Even though when they do and their village finds out, they'll bury them in the ground up to their waist and throw rocks at them until they're dead. I think that would be a hard sell to a youth group. Your choices are to stand strong for Christ, even if you're found out they'll stone you to death, or convert to Islam and become one of the ones throwing the stones. One of you asked, why are some Christian lives so much harder than other people's? The problem with this moral evil is the consequences aren't fairly applied. I get that someone in their sexuality wanders outside, way outside what God has for us and becomes perverted, but it's a child that suffers for it. That's not fair. I realize that it's, it's politicians and And warlords and religious leaders that lie, are greedy, can't compromise. But the war they start has to be fought by young men and women, soldiers, or 18-year-old kids with bombs strapped to them. They're the ones who pay the price. That's not right. It's not fair. Sin is unfair. Sin is horribly evil and horribly unfair. But this doesn't tell us anything about God. It tells us something about being human that we all really need to know and pay attention to. And that is that we are, in fact, not individuals. We are a people who are tied together for good or bad. When we do good or we do bad... Everyone benefits or suffers unfairly. This morning, everyone, I drove across three bridges to come to this church. One of them was built before I even was paying taxes to contribute. I just breezed right up to this building in 10 minutes, built on the backs and sacrifices and the labor of people from the past. I didn't do a thing for it. I've benefited unfairly. By the same token, tomorrow when I go shopping at the store, I'll pay a higher price for every single thing I buy because this morning the store is full of people who are shoplifting. And that cost is passed down to you and I. I had a police officer from the congregation tell me they could station a police officer at each grocery store in town who would never leave that site. They'd have so many shoplifting calls, they could just do that back to back to back at each store all day long. That cost is passed to you and I. We are connected. My children benefit unfairly from my hard work. If I work hard, I bring home a paycheck, they get to eat, and they might get to go on a vacation. And they didn't do a thing for it. That's not fair. By the same token, if I'm lazy and I lose my job, they might not get to eat. And they're definitely not going on family vacation and they didn't do anything to deserve that. And that's not fair either. If we make... But, but this isn't a good or bad God at work. This is just the raw fact of being human. This is as real as gravity. If we make a horrible society, then our children and our elderly have to live in it. If we make a good society, we all get to live in it. Human immorality spreads to everyone. Human morality spreads to everyone. That's not fair or unfair and it doesn't tell you anything about a good or bad God. It's just the brute, undeniable reality of what it is to be human and being Christian will not make you immune to being what we are. So the same person asked, how do we survive in an evil, lying, cheating world Walk with God. Theologian Walter Brueggemann says, we'll not have peace on earth or even in our own lives until we're willing to live in God's world on God's terms. So everyone, this is one of the things we do as a church. We come together to learn the way of God and encourage one another to practice it and stick to it, even when it's hard and even when it's unpopular, because this is how we will survive. This morning, uh, uh, maybe you're in the room, uh, 10, 12 families got up early and came to first service and went to the marriage class to strengthen their understanding of marriage. And the good they did in that class will spread out to us in this church and to the whole community. So you want to survive this world, be a part of the church, be an active part. Because one of the things that we're going to do here every week and through the week, all year long and forever, is to gain wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how life works. I think we've said what we can say about moral evil. It has to be there in order to make love and righteousness a real thing. It's part of who God is and part of who we are. When we disobey it, It wrecks creation, and there's no way around that because we are connected. He made us to be a people. But those answers don't tell us much about this stuff, natural evil, right? Even your insurance forms tell you, act of God. So these must require a different answer, natural evil, Truthfully, when I look at this, I'm not sure we're out of the moral evil woods just yet. I see starvation up there. Starvation is certainly, you know, there always seems to be some sort of drought or something going on, but a lot of starvation seems to happen around war too, doesn't it? Or happen around greed or ha- even around really ignorant farming practices. There's certainly some of starvation that belongs to God, but an awful lot of it. Wouldn't be as bad as it is without human evil. The truth is, while you're having a drought in one part of the world, you're having bumper crops in the other. There always seems to be enough food on this planet to feed everyone. It's just not where it needs to be. So, But this amount, we're going to leave for God to answer for. Diseases? Most people who die of diseases die of preventable diseases. If they just had access to the medicine and such that they needed. Or if they just uh, would practice the preventative stuff that, you know, scientists told them to. So I think a certain amount of the suffering that goes with diseases still belongs here on moral evil. But not all of it. Not all of it. Predators and prey. The cruelty of nature. I think God's going to have to keep all of that. We don't cause that to happen. We just watch it on Discovery Channel. Birth defects, this is tragic stuff. And certainly some of these are just going to happen. But I think we're finding more and more they're caused by medications that weren't put through proper testing because we just wanted to start selling it so darn fast. Or improperly disposed of uh, Uh, Industrial waste, we're too cheap to put our trash where it belongs, it gets into the water. Or how about just all the weird food additives? We're just beginning to understand the price we're going to pay for having to have giant mutant chickens to eat and having everything taste like it's filled with sugar. The other day at the grocery store, I saw grapes that genetically taste like cotton candy. Let's admit it, no one likes the flavor of cotton candy, Cotton candy just describes the curiosity that you have of what would it feel like to eat fiberglass insulation. <laughs> so but, so a, a, lot of bir- a lot of birth defects, I think, really are caused by human evil. But not all of them. Not all of them. Some of them belong here. AIDS. AIDS. Um, AIDS is a tragic evil that's happening in the world, but honestly, because of the way AIDS spreads, we could remove AIDS from the face of the earth with one faithful and Conscientious generation To practice sexuality And understand drug use The way God would have us Understand it It's true We could remove it From the face of the earth In one generation So a lot of that's on us But babies born with AIDS And how did it get on the planet To begin with We'll leave that with God Accidents Well accidents happen Surely that's not moral evil And I agree I agree However aren't a lot of accidents We hear about Don't we usually find out Well they knew That machinery was faulty And they were just too cheap to fix it. How many automobile accidents this year are caused by distracted drivers? We just can't stop texting. So some of that pain belongs back here. But not all of it. Natural disasters. Now, if anything's an act of God, it's got to be this. But when I think of Hurricane Katrina, gosh, that's 12 years old now. We knew New Orleans was going to flood for a hundred years. They built a city in a bowl, in a swamp, next to the ocean. They knew those levees were ancient and in bad repair, and everyone was just too cheap to do anything about it. Sometimes I darkly wonder if it's because they looked at it and said, well, it's just going to flood the poor part of town anyway. A lot of natural disasters, certainly the weather events belong to God, but sometimes I wonder if all the human misery that follows doesn't really belong to us. Okay. Now we've really whittled this question of evil down. This is a lot different question than having to answer for all of that. And yet, just in this pile, there's still millions of people in anguish and suffering. So the question is still just as valid as it was in the beginning, why is there pain in the world? But now I think we've gotten it down to the right question and the right spirit in which to ask that question. So in some ways, only now does our work really begin. I want to run through a few solutions that you may have heard but that we're not going to recommend this morning. Here's a problem with... Christianity for this question and why Christianity has to face this question more than other religions Christianity has three beliefs which we hold all together and it's a difficult juggling act the three beliefs are that God is loving and that God is all-powerful and that evil exists well now how do you juggle all three of that all at once if God is loving and all-powerful then how can evil exist clearly one of these things don't belong That was great grammar. Well, we could say, we could take off that God is all-powerful, and that would make the question work. God just isn't able to stop this kind of stuff. It's just that our Christian scriptures won't let us do that. It says He is the creator and sustainer of all the earth. He's capable of anything. So we can't do that. Well, we could say that evil isn't really evil. We could say we don't like this stuff because it's painful and sad, but actually it's just part of the universe. It keeps creation going. There are many world religions, especially in the Far East, that say that. But our faith won't let us say that. Our faith speaks of some of these exact things as evil. Our, Our scriptures speak of death as the enemy of God that is going to be defeated. So we don't get to say that evil is actually good we could take off that God's not loving. You could have evil exist in an all-powerful God as long as you don't make him loving. And there's at least one world religion that kind of does that. But we can't do that because Jesus reveals God to us as, as a God who is a father and loves everyone like a father. So this is our big problem. We're trying to hold in one hand three beliefs that don't balance very well. Now, there have been some Christian answers to this, which I'll, you probably have heard, but which we, I'm not going to recommend this morning. One of the answers I'm not recommending, but which you may have heard is uh, from Christians, is that th- even these things actually belong in the moral pile because these things are part of the curse on creation because of human sin. You may have heard this. In this belief, uh, human sin right from the Garden of Eden even causes things like earthquakes in a cosmic way. That would answer this question for us. We're not going to use that because biblically I actually don't find a scripture passage that states that or even hints at that. I also don't find scientifically any evidence that there were not earthquakes or predators during the billions of years of earth before humans We're given dominance by God So we're not going to say That these things are the result of the curse Another Christian answer That you may have heard That we're not going to use Is that these things are examples Of God's judgment on sin So God's someday going to judge all sin But he's judging a little of it at a time Just to let us know how terrible it's going to be And so when a tsunami Wipes out men, women, and children It's because those men, women, and children Are sinful When babies are born in Africa with AIDS is because something that's going on in Africa and God is judging it. We're not going to use that answer, though, because Jesus actually tells us that that's not the answer. In John chapter 9, for one example, our first example, Jesus was walking along. He saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Because of his own sin or his parents' sin? So see how the disciples are thinking? They're thinking, blindness, birth defects, or a judgment from God. They just want to know whose sin was it, that guy or or his parents. But Jesus says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We'll get to that, what that means, but let's stay on our point. As we go to Luke chapter 13, another story. About this time, Jesus was informed... That Pilate, their governor Had murdered some people from Galilee As they were offering sacrifices at the temple Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners Than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked Is that why they suffered? Not at all And you will perish too Unless you repent of your sins And turn to God And what about the 18 people who died When the tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No And I tell you, unless you repent, you will perish too. We'll get to what he means by that, but I use these stories to show. Jesus says, look, you see a man born blind, a building falls on people, the governor turns out some soldiers to kill people at church. These are not judgments on their sin. None of those people did anything to deserve that. Jesus says, keep your eye on what happens after the evil. And we'll get to that. But I want to say we're not going to say this morning that God is not loving. We're not going to say that evil is not evil. We're not going to say that God is not powerful and couldn't stop it. We're not going to say that this is a curse on creation. Even these things are our fault. And we're not going to say that God is judging sin because Jesus told us that's not what's happening. So what are we going to say? It's time to say that now. Diseases, birth defects, natural disasters, accidents, the cruelty of nature. Why does God allow these things in His creation? I don't know. And nobody knows. This is a mystery. This is the unexplained and unexplainable reality of the universe. Natural disasters, everyone. The Earth's crust is in motion. The continents are literally colliding, pushing up mountains and sinking down valleys. We are surrounded by an atmosphere that is a swirl of untold cubic tons I know that's a unit of volume and weight. Let it go. We're surrounded by a universe, We're surrounded by an atmosphere that is a swirl of hot and cold, wet and dry air masses. And when we stand on that crust, under those winds, we are fragile, vulnerable creatures. That's the way our world is. And I don't know why. Birth defects? Each of us is 100 trillion cells controlled by over 25,000 different genes. The amazing part of the process is that it creates a fully functional human being so faithfully so often. The far more amazing thing about the human body is that it works as often as it does. But sometimes the system does fail. And children are born with handicaps that cause them to suffer and even to die. And it is sad. That is the way human bodies are. And I don't know why. So I told you up front I would not be able to answer every part of this question. And now I have kept my promise. But neither does this pile automatically mean that there is no God. This mystery doesn't mean that he isn't loving and he isn't all-powerful. It certainly means he's a God we don't fully understand. To try to make sense out of this, we're going to have to look at what Jesus said to look at, what happens after the evil. Jesus said sometimes out of evil comes the glory of God. He said in that blind man, the glory of God's about to be shown in him. And we know that's true. Sometimes when we see someone who has overcome a great evil, a great adversity, these types of things, we see in them the glory of God. That is a good that sometimes comes from evil. We know it's true that when others suffer and we are filled with compassion for them, And we help them that we become more like Christ in that moment. Through them, many are changed. That is a good that sometimes comes from evil. When evil happens, particularly when these evils happen, let us show again the goodness of God and what he has taught us. When there's a riot in your community and you don't go out looting, you show the goodness of God that lives inside you. And when there's a blizzard and you own a store that sells shovels and you don't hike up the price of a snow shovel because you know everyone's desperate for it, you show the spirit of God that lives inside you. These are good responses to the mystery of evil. This also means that we're going to have to come up with a new question for God when this evil happens. This why question is just not getting us anywhere. I'll suggest a new question might be, how long? How long? In the Psalms, in the middle of our Bible, we have a prayer book which God has left to us, 150 prayers. Do you know that half of those prayers cry out to God and say, God, what's up with all of this? Half of the prayers found in the Bible. Now, dozens of those prayers, or actually about a dozen, they ask, why? Why God? But all of the prayers found in the Bible seem to understand that the three things are there together. God is loving, God is all-powerful, and evil exists. But all the prayers say, God, clearly, these three don't fit. And so they begin to ask, how long, God, will you keep these three things together that don't fit? How long until you remove the one that doesn't? One of you asked on a card last year, why doesn't God defeat the devil once and for all? Okay, now you're getting close to it, but change the question to how long? How long, God, before you defeat the devil, before you defeat all evil? How long? Psalm 6 asks that. It says, I am sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? Psalm 13 says, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? These are prayers found in Scripture, and there are dozens more like them. Prayers of faithful people who trust that God will make all things right, but they've frankly gotten tired of waiting for Him to do it. And when God gave us the Bible, he gave us these prayers to teach us how to pray when we're tired of waiting. How long, God? How long? And at the end of the scriptures in Revelation 21, he gives us these words. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. These things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. For those who are suffering this morning, I want you to know what you already know. It's going to be hard with God or without God. Why not walk this road with God? He can keep you from making it worse. With his wisdom, he can teach you ways to react so that you don't create a downward spiral and heap destruction upon bad luck. He might bring some special good from it that you can't see now. He does that sometimes. Someday he will remove what oppresses you from creation and from your life. And in the meantime, he's very gracious and very kind. And he lets you come and cry on his shoulder words that he gave you. How much longer, Lord, do I have to deal with this? How long? I want to thank everyone who wrote these questions. They have... Let us get deep into the types of things that as a family we need to get deep into. I thank you for your your courage and your your honesty in submitting them. Now it's time for us to turn our attention to the Lord's table. If the servers will come forward, the interesting thing about Jesus is he knows an awful lot about our suffering. He was born poor to a family that was scandalized. Not very many people believed Mary's story in the day. Someone was hunting him and trying to kill him when he was two years old. When he grew up, his friends abandoned him. No one really understood his message. So they took him to trial and had to bring in fake witnesses. He was tortured. And he was executed, and they mocked him while he died. He knows what it is to be human and he knows what it is to suffer. Not very many other views of God give us a God who knows us quite that well. And we participate that in the Lord's Supper when you tear off a piece of bread because he said, this is my body broken for you. We take that bread we've torn off and we dip it in the cup because he said, this cup is my blood Poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the most astonishing part of it all. He says, I reveal to you a God who knows that you have done some of these things. He wants to forgive you anyway. He gives his own life to say, let's be father and son, let's be father and daughter. I forgive you, this is the sign. It's your race that's doing this to me, and while you're doing it, I'm praying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So you can participate in that by tearing off that piece of bread. You dip it in the cup. You take it into yourself. You receive a God who understands and a God who has forgiven you. And we can continue to be a people of God, all connected, learning his ways and his wisdom. He opens that door to us. Let us stand together and pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. I might insert two words in the middle, so don't let it throw you. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How long? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is a kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Alleluia. The gifts of God for the people of God. Each day, may Christ be as real to us as this food and this drink. Come forward when you're ready.